And hello from Sydney. My name is Grant Case, and welcome back to the Proof of Concept podcast, uh, the show where we're always trying to expose real-life use cases from the field and discuss some of the hottest questions in the data science world today. Uh, I am your host, as always, and my co-host up there in Singapore. Hello, Alex Hubert. Hey, Grant. How are you today? I am doing very, very well. And today's uh, podcast is a really interesting one. And I think it's we start out this question, I think we're going to bust it into two different podcasts. But this first one is really around why should I care about the fancy AI model? We've got lots of people out there building models today, uh, whether they're doing it through a no code, a low code, or a full code aspect. But I think the question a lot of times we need to stop and ask, well, why should I care about this fancy AI model to begin with? And I guess we can always start where we always do, which is what is some of the cool stuff we can do with this uh, AI models? Yeah, I mean, you know, when when I was uh, when I was thinking about our conversation, I was I was obviously trying to go back to how I got myself into data science, and and one day I heard about. Kaggle and all the cool people, all the cool PhDs that were translating their key researches into the Kaggle community to tackle real-life problems. I mean, real-life, it's, it's a Kaggle dataset, right? It's not exactly real-life, but still at the time, it was pretty innovative. It was pretty cool. And then the same people grew libraries like Scikit-Learn and then grew library like TensorFlow, and then you had Keras and then more and more of those cool open source libraries that help PyTorch comes along. PyTorch, <laughs> all of those ones that help you like build all those very cool and fancy machine learning models with a couple of, you know, Python Python lines and then you you start you start to get to get going, right? And then and then from there obviously you have all those super cool medical application. I was reading an article the other day where uh, finally, AI and doctor are used together to uh, detect mm -hmm. early forms of cancer. I think it was a couple of days ago as well that uh, DeepMind uh, mm -hmm. released all that uh, uh, catalog of proteins uh, that mm -hmm. they have unfolded thanks to another great algorithm that they have that mm -hmm. they have built. I mean, some some sort of AI. Uh, so yeah, so there is there is definitely some cool stuff happening thanks mm -hmm. thanks to very fancy machine learning models that's yeah. that we cannot deny i think that to me when i think about so the concept of neural networks is really from the 1950s so this is something that's been around for quite some time even if we talk about convolutional neural networks uh in the united states it was a form of checks uh basically checking signatures and handwriting uh that was in the early 90s but it really hasn't been and i kind of look at the difference uh, in one of the biggest moments in the quote-unquote fancy AI uh, was the, re the release of Google Translate with the neural network. So Jeffrey Hinton uh, out of the University of Toronto, uh, basically Google brought him in and that entire team just built, uh, rebuilt Google Translate from the ground up. Yeah. So if you're trying to understand how to you know deal with different languages, Neural networks, the fancy AI models was absolutely kind of this uh, transition point. And that was in 2016. If you're interested, there's a great article from the New York Times. Wired had one at that point in time talking about that. 
the one thing that caught my mind when I saw that, when I read that article for the first time was in the 10 years of Google Translate, um, they had made so much progress uh, with just how better they have gotten in the translation. The yeah. Google Translate neural network basically blew out 10 years worth of hard work by a ton of Google engineers and blew it out like a lot. So yeah. for me, that, that, that key transition point is when we started to say, what can we do this? Uh, sentiment analysis, textual yeah. understanding, all of this fun stuff that we are starting to take for granted. The whole idea of a chat bot and being able yeah. to type is, it's something that was, you know, something that was crazy. Crazy, even seven, seven and it's, years and, it, and it's and it's slowly taking his 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 space, taking taking place within the world of of the enterprise as well. Now, indeed, in chatbot, you start to see more and more fancy models that are driving those those services. Uh, uh, Google Translate, Google Images, as well. Uh, mm -hmm. My my personal experience was yeah five five years ago. Uh, using transitioning from Dropbox to Google, to Google Images, and then just being able to retrieve very quickly by places, by people, the kind of images that that I mm -hmm. wanted. But that's that's the very dog. like I could put in my dog's name and it pops up, yeah. and here's yeah, all yeah, the pictures of Arlo. Pretty, <laughs> that's, that's pretty incredible. But that's that's the very uh, um, customer facing side. I would say there is also hidden impact of AI within the enterprise, like. Uh, how do you govern the enterprise better thanks to AI uh, and in particular automation uh, automation of, of 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 some certain reporting uh, type of activities through AI you can do that much much quicker um, and, and and reporting can sounds like okay it's it's low level but you can like we're talking about deep learning stuff I remember at that a couple of years ago we did an amazing use cases where essentially we were making some better classification of handwritten, handwritten letters uh, for an insurance company. So they receive a ton of hand, uh, uh, handwritten letters. They're paying a lot of money to send them to the right department, whether it's going to be a resiliation, whether it's going to be a claim and stuff like that. And they realized that their accuracy wasn't that good. They built a machine learning model with us at the time that was much faster in the execution, obviously, because you don't have fatigue of uh, the tiredness of a human to deal with, but at the same time, much more accurate. That was super cool. Yeah. And I, what do you find super cool? Please uh, follow us on LinkedIn, drop us a line on YouTube, whichever. Uh, we'd love to hear kind of your feedback. What do you think is really cool? Uh, what sort of applications do you really kind of look at, at as being you know really top-notch, very interesting and understanding from you? So that brings us to you know, fancy AI models. You know what? You know, executive management loves talking about the buzzwords, but... How do we explain this, Alex? How do we break down, you know, something that actually we don't even really understand how it learns yeah. to begin with? And then that's the crazy part, right? I remember I was never the best data scientist on earth, but four or five years ago, I would I would understand uh, the core concept of of deep learning. Now I'm reading papers 
Odu's architecture. I, if you don't stay close to it, you just you just forget about it. You just don't know what it's like. And then and then yeah, for executive, yeah, for sure they don't understand. So it's very important for us right now to sit down and and to define what it is. And here we can take a very interesting path. Instead of defining and starting by defining what it is, let's try to define what it's not. So I'm sure that good you've point. seen that video. Always good. Of, yeah. uh, the counterfactual. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure you've seen that video of uh, the, the dancing robot from yep. uh, Boston Dynamics. This is, this is AI, yeah, potentially, but that's not what AI in the enterprise should be or what it's like. All the black mirror references, same in a futuristic world, maybe one day, but we're clearly not there. Anything related to general artificial intelligence, singularity, I'm sure that some very clever scientists are working right now, but that's not that's not what it is. And overall, if we draw a distinction between AI in the enterprise and AI, the rest of AI, I really like to say AI in the enterprise should not be an academic exercise. In the enterprise, it's basically the ability to automate a set of tasks that are more complex than the ruling system. So if you have yeah. like, a project like uh, like the, the one I was discussing before, like okay, you you, you receive some handwritten letters. Uh, you have to. I have a pretty disgusting handwritten uh, and and writing. So if if someone has to read my guilty stuff, of that one too. <laughs> guilty of that one too. They're gonna take forever, right? So it's 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 building a ruling system, but a smart ruling system that can be then automated. And overall, remove a lot of the burden that us human would have to do otherwise. Mm -hmm. That's that's how I would define it. Yeah. I would define it much the same way. It's like, how do we automate a lot of the mundane? Or how do we help yeah. you understand what's important, right? So to me, when I'm talking about AI in the enterprise, I'm thinking primarily of those two things. And that graphs on this concept of, well, these are just things that we would automate uh, but they typically take some sort of uh, human intuition. I, I make the distinction kind of between our overall general machine learning versus when we're looking at kind of the fancy AI models is when we're doing things with the, the you know, the AI models, the neural networks, they tend to be much more, uh, I, wanna, I don't want to say esoteric, but very uh, much more complicated. They take more of what would we would consider a human intuition versus when we're doing a classic uh, regression problem or a classic uh, k-means clustering algorithm. Yeah, yeah, no, clearly, and and uh, and and all the rise, like overall, AI can deal with a lot of, um, mm -hmm. especially if you if you manage to have like some very rich data, some, some fairly complex data, but it will only work uh, in a well-defined environment. And mm -hmm. uh, you need to be quite explicit as what you're expecting into those, into those boundaries. So essentially what I'm trying to say here, it's, it's very tempting to look at AI to solve some super complex uh, use cases and super complex problems but then stay in the realm of the academia once again. And, and, mm -hmm. and in the enterprise, you really want to resist that temptation. Yes, it looks complex. Yes, you have complex data. But, but ultimately, 
it's on you data scientists to remind that there is an actual business question that has to have an answer. And the answer is not necessarily, do I have the best metrics possible? Did I use the fanciest machine learning uh, technique? That is not the answer. The answer is me, I'm from the business. Uh, do I save my customer better now? That's the only yeah. way you should, you should look at it. So that actually brings up a great point, and we would love to hear your, you know, how do you explain uh, AI to anybody in your organization? Uh, if you're interested, uh, please drop us a line on LinkedIn, uh, drop a comment on YouTube. Uh, I will also make a big plug here for uh, Hillary Mason, who is one of the, what I would consider kind of the, the pioneers of data science. Uh, she had a great sit down uh, basically explaining machine learning and AI to five different levels of people. Uh, that was on Wired. We'll put a link in the YouTube and LinkedIn so you can get to that. But that's a great way to kind of understand uh, what's going on in this world. So, Alex, we typically do this compare and contrast. I want to take this a little bit differently. Uh, when yeah. we're talking about models, the alternative is really no models, right? So what is, you know... What compare and contrast what we might do with a really you know fancy neural network model or a convolutional neural network model or a GAN uh, versus you know the alternative. So what's out there? Yeah, like ultimately, data science and AI made such such a splash that uh, it's tempting to think that oh, there's no alternative. Uh, like if I don't have the the most amazing random forest or the craziest variation of of uh, gradient boosting trees, then then you know I cannot uh, give an answer to the business. We have just simply forgotten what we used. Uh, I don't know, ten, fifteen years ago, which was a rule based system. And I'm not saying we should go back to rule based system, but the answer is probably in the middle. The good thing with rule-based system at the time is it was 100% focus on the business knowledge. The business would come to you and say, I catch someone that uh, is displaying some fraudulent behavior because of this reason, that reason, and that reason. And then on the, on the statistical side, you would probably use R Python to just validate those assumptions, but ultimately you would end up building in one of those analytics platform a, a flagging and ruling system that would mm -hmm. that would do something similar. Um, obviously, machine learning models are much better at building rules that make sense at ruling system, probably do it much quicker as well. So so you you should probably definitely look into AI and, and data science. But once again, you want to do it with the core foundation of looking at it from the business first and shifting the conversation from that super rigorous academic exercise to what's ultimately valuable to the business. Because if you don't do that, well, what do you see? Well, the, the, the typical stuff that I see is the law of diminishing returns, right? Like data scientists are fighting so hard for that uh, extra point of AUC. It's super expensive it's to acquire. We're not trying yeah, to... Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's Kaggle. It becomes Kaggle. They fight super hard. It's super expensive in, in terms of times from a resources perspective. But let's face it, like how many times have you seen that point of AUC sticking in, in the real world? Right. Yeah. Uh, I have a great... Uh, so 
Claudia Perlich, she is uh, the prince, basically the head data scientist for Two Sigma. I met her a couple of years ago at a conference where she was giving a talk. And prior to her work at Two Sigma, she was on, she was in ad tech. Uh, so how right. do we basically build models that rapidly can decide whether or not to have a, uh, to answer the question, should we buy this ad when uh, Grant checks on this website, right? Yeah. The performance you need is under two tenths of a second. You have to make a decision. So yeah. she had, they had about 10 million variables and 800,000 of those, you know, basically we decomposed uh, into uh, make it easier for the model itself. One of the audience members is like, well, why don't you use a neural network or why don't you use a more complex model? Because she was saying, well, we're just using logistic regression. And, and the, her, her answer in response is like, you can't make it that fast. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't score what's that the, fast. What's the business problem? What's exactly. the business, the business problem? problem right? The business problem is what I have business? to make a decision. <laughs> yeah, all the business constraint to business context. And this is what I mean by really switching from, okay, I understand you have to do it rigorously. It's important. In data science, there is the word science. Uh, normalize your data, all this kind of fun stuff, of course. But then do not ignore the real world. And as soon as you can incorporate the real world in what you build, then you realize that fanciness doesn't matter that much. Uh, and then you can focus on the real important things once again, which is which is uh, business, customers, and avoiding like, you know, like, okay, you have a model that works in theory, but then uh, that can potentially create some problem like overfitting. And then the cousin of, of overfitting is potentially bias. Uh, and yeah. then, well, I mean, can, it's even, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when we even talk about medical, right? So, yeah. they're in the medical industry, uh, AI is super, super, super hot right now. Uh, but one of the issues that's had is the deployment of models and to specific, uh, are the ability of a model to generalize across different sites. And we're not talking yeah. the difference between. Nigeria and the U.S. or uh, or Sudan and Singapore, we're talking about could be just a few, you know, right across the street or even in a different department. Yeah. So damn. Yeah. So for me, it it almost becomes the these end up becoming the starting blocks. So I see a lot of good organizations. Can we get value out of the model? Absolutely. But could we turn those into a set of rules? Will we be as accurate? No, because we're all along that efficient frontier of, you know, high explainability, you know, lower accuracy, lower performance versus more complexity, but uh, lower transparency. To me, this becomes kind of that nexus point of the potential. So why can't I have both? Why can't I have a model that helps me find something but can be as transparent as possible? So, and that to me becomes... Uh, we'll, we'll hold off on our, you know, our typical, you know, spend money, make money, uh, make the customer experience better because I want to hold that one off to the, to our next, uh, 
uh, our next session here because I think it's going to fall in very, very nicely. Uh, but what I really want to do, yep. Alex, yeah, is what is the predictions here? Because there is a whole lot of, you know, there's a whole lot of promise. There's a whole lot of ambiguity. There's a whole lot of, uh, there's a whole lot of noise. <laughs> there's a lot of hype. I mean, uh, how do we yeah, I mean, take it, the signal not, from the noise here? It, it's not like, first of all, AI is here to stay, right? We're not going to go back to rules. We're not going to go back to... We're not uh, going to be Luddites. We're not going to be Luddites. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's done. And, and if, we, if we push the reflection further, um, the, 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 the amount of um, papers that are going to come from the academia in the next few years is only going to grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is also going to find his way through the open source world and all of those new methods, applications are going to be available in the enterprise. Ultimately, the enterprise are comfortable with open source con uh, concept. They realize that it's it's way less expensive to develop. It's kind of fine to um, <clears throat> to maintain as long as you have the right people. So yeah, like the academia is extremely active that goes into the open source world, that goes into the enterprise. So that fanciness overall is always going to be around. It's always going to be there to stay. Now, what can tame the fanciness down is, and I hope at least that's, that's the direction that people are going to go to, is AI is also going to be normalized over the years. Uh, what was fancy five, six years ago, now we consider that it's normal. And with the help of, once again, low-code platform, um, very easy to build some models, that removed the complexity and all the fanciness around it. And that helps you to focus once again on the business question, on the business constraint, and forget about the method. The method can be handled by software, it can be handled by a platform, it can be handled by a lot of different stuff. You, you can then refocus your time and your energy on the problem that you're trying to solve. So I think the fanciness is still going to be around. It's just going to be abstracted. You're not going to realize mm -hmm. that, oh, somewhere behind that click, there is something extremely fancy happening. Yeah. And I think that that to me is that bifurcation of there are going to be people going down that route, you know, living in that complexity but for the most yeah. part we don't i don't need to know how to build a car in order to drive it uh exactly when we're talking about this ai i need to understand the concepts i need to understand the potential impact but do i need to necessarily understand the complexity underneath uh, i'll give you a great story so uh around 2014 i was working with uh, uh, a satellite radio company who at that point in time uh, Spotify had bought one of their vendors that they were getting recommendations from. So every time you played their uh, song, uh, they were coming up with three new songs behind it. But you had rule sets, et cetera, uh, because you got ASCAP and a couple of other different. Uh, you can't play the same artist more than three times in the same hour. You can't play you know two songs off the same record, right? So for them, they lost this. So we came in as a vendor. And we were basically, okay, this is how we have to build all of this together. We're going to bring all of this data in. This is, you know, pretty cutting edge stuff. 
And I can remember when I started at Data IQ uh, three years later. So this is 20, you know, 2017, 2018, or maybe it was just before I started. I went to uh, a data science camp uh, final presentations where a bunch of the students had taken, you know, everybody's Spotify's playlists and built their own recommendations engine out of it. And I'm like, wow, okay. that. Okay, we were talking about $4 million deal at that point. Now you got a couple of, you know, folks uh, with $400 in credits from AWS now doing it. So yeah. to me, that complexity, it's always going to go down. You know, it, it, the complexity may uh, not drop, but the abstraction away from the complexity is always going to be important. Uh, That's but exactly think, what's uh, happening. It's, and it's exactly this. It's like you're going to have, obviously, the research is not going to stop. But what's not going to stop either is the ability to abstract that complexity and make it simple for everyday usage, ultimately. And I think that's what's going to dovetail us into our next podcast, where, yes, we have some very complex models, and they're fancy AI models, but what do I do if I don't know anything about them, right? What are the questions I should ask of my machine learning engineer, my vendor, when it comes to this stuff? Because ultimately... Yeah. Uh, the implementation of these models is going to become the, there's going to be a direct line of responsibility. If it isn't already happening within your country today, the kind of AI model that you put out and the potential harm that it could do may have personal and professional uh, implications for you. Yeah. So I think that's where we're going to leave it to today on that little, you know, that cliffhanger for next time. I appreciate that. So Alex, no uh, love the talk today. I'm very, very interested to hear feedback from the audience on this. Follow us on YouTube, follow us on LinkedIn, tell us your comments. What are your predictions when it comes to, you know, this big fancy AI model? What is it going to be in the enterprise? You know, do you think it's here to stay? Obviously, Alex and I do. We wouldn't be here if we didn't. Uh, but we're always <laughs> looking for counterfactuals. What? Yeah. And uh, so for that, Alex, Uber, thank you so much on this one. This is a great podcast. I'm very much looking forward to this next one. And again, my name is Grant Case. Thanks for listening to the Proof of Concept podcast. Please catch us on LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, or every anywhere you get podcasts. So Thanks so much. Have a great day.